Welcome to Season 2 of Busting Addiction and Its Myths, sponsored by Safe House Rehab Thailand, where we offer a modern approach to recovery, breaking with tradition by introducing new technologies that help disrupt the cycle of addiction. To learn more, visit us at safehouserehab.com and click on the video, or contact us at info at safehouserehab.com, and we'll tell you about our $1,000 airfare allowance and referral rewards program. My name is Bruno J. And here's why I created this podcast. Our research has shown that despite the opioid epidemic and the worldwide panic over the ravages of addiction, we didn't see that treatment centers were doing anything different to break the cycle more effectively and improve the odds of long-term success. So we have set out to do things differently and to let all those who love an addict or alcoholic know more about the advances in treatment that we represent. Here's what we're doing differently. We have designed our diagnostics and detox to isolate and treat opioid and multi-addiction, example, alcohol plus opioids plus speed, more effectively, given that these are the new challenges of addiction in the 21st century. We integrate leading-edge technology into the recovering process, thereby disrupting the disorder, speeding the recovery of brain health. Clients come to treatment with damaged brains. This is a given. We pay attention to the importance of dopamine and other ingredients vital to brain health recovery. Traditional rehabs don't provide anywhere near the tools and close guidance that clients truly need to help keep them clean and sober for life. We do it right. First, we advise our clients to go into our sober living facility to serve as a transition to normal life, and we absolutely outperform traditional rehabs when it comes to providing a structure for long-term recovery. So if you love an addict or alcoholic and you feel like your loved one is sucking the oxygen out of your life, is stealing your money, stealing your peace of mind and your sanity, this podcast is for you. If you're feeling rage and shame and and he or she is living rent-free in your head 24-7, this podcast is for you. I hope to have you gain a better understanding of the nature of addictive disorder and the invisible effect it has on your psyche. It's my fervent hope you also gain a little more compassion for your loved one and for yourself in spite of this cunning, baffling, and powerful disease. To paraphrase an author in this space, we struggle because we love. Welcome to episode number eight of season two, which we'll call Tony Sounds Off. We started our podcast um, about 17 weeks ago, and we release a new episode each and every week. We're closing in on an audience of a 1,000 regular listeners, so it is exceptionally gratifying to realize that our podcast seems to be helping people who have an addict or an alcoholic whom they love dearly, but whose behavior is causing great distress. And the cause of that is difficult to understand. But that understanding comes a little easier when you get some insight into how an addict or an alcoholic who is active in their addiction actually thinks and what he or she is up against when it comes to getting and staying clean and sober. Because there are some real barriers. I want to bring back my dear young genius friend Tony who will give you a reality check and insights on what to watch for if your loved one does get to the point one way or another of accepting help and entering treatment and or try sincerely to make the U-turn and get on to a healthy path of life. Tony, welcome back. Hi, Bruno. Thank you again, and thanks for having me. Sure enough, you always give us great insight. And as a young person in recovery, 30-year-old guy, a Brit, 
which makes you smarter than the average American, um, can share your insight <laughs> on your challenges. Wait, why are you chuckling? Because it's true. <laughs> Uh, no, you, you, he's got a great story to tell. And, you know, I'm older. Uh, I'm of the boomer generation. I recovered, you know, I threw in the towel about 26 years ago. So am I to be believed, uh, particularly by younger people, or is Tony a better messenger because he's of the generation? And he has a better understanding of the perceptual barriers uh, that young uh, people trying to recover have have in their heads. So I keep emphasizing too that active addicts and alcoholics are operating with damaged brains. Uh-oh. But the scientific evidence for that is a slam dunk. It's overwhelming in the extreme. So when we introduce the concept of recovery, especially young people, we have to realize that a critical part of it is complete abstinence along with good nutrition and fitness to allow the brain to rewire neural pathways that may have been destroyed by the chemicals that do damage to the human brain. So this is serious business. Understanding what damage the substance is, including alcohol, which by the way is classified as a depressant, depressant drug, what they do to the human brain. A little sidebar here. 26 plus years ago when I got clean and sober, for good I hope, because I don't want to go back there, I'm sitting in group therapy with my counselor, Margaret, and I was whining to her and asked, Margaret, why am I so depressed all the time? I'll never forget her answer. She said in no uncertain terms, young man, you've been taking a depressant called alcohol every day for 25 years and you sit there wondering why you're so depressed all the time. Uh-oh. So that was my entry into recovery, one day, one lesson at a time. I firmly believe that families and loved ones of alcoholics and addicts need to know a lot more than they currently know about the process of recovery, which is the purpose of this podcast. There are many out there who have in their family an addict or alcoholic in recovery or who've watched their loved one relapse, also known as going back out there, or you're just curious about what the heck goes on in recovery. Because you see, as normal people, that is, as non-addicts, it's kind of hard to understand what goes on and what to watch for. So Tony, as a young man with solid years of clean and sober living under his belt, will explain some things to our audience. By the way, I love his perspective as only he can express it. So Tony, maybe you can start with that incident that you shared with me about that very moment when a counselor kind of put his arm around you and said, maybe this option could be right for you. The teacher appeared because the pupil was ready. Do I have that right? To a degree, yeah. I mean, that was, and I am... Um is the turning point in my recovery. Now, I had been to rehab uh, two times prior, one in a beautiful, massive Masonic kind of uh, building, 26 all-male, 128 acres of land, working program, Christian rehab, which my mum originally chose. Um, however, they had a intake of... they. Had, I mean, they did originally have a rule like 40... They wouldn't have more than 40% from prison but it ended up slightly higher but it was a good program I committed to it I was thought it was very strict very regulated can I ask how much it uh it cost your family that was actually my first time in rehab and that was actually I went through a procedure through my drug and alcohol agency and I got listed and received that treatment part of 
I was nominated for that treatment okay. from a list of candidates who okay, they, okay. your drug, drug and alcohol right, well, agency can put uh, towards, I think it was slightly less, but that, they were looking at, I think, about £15,000 for three okay. months, so about 5000 three Okay, for three months. So £5,000 a month, which is about 7000 US dollars. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's right, So sorry to interrupt, but I think our audience needs to know a few things about the sacrifices your parents made. So there you are. You're in your third third try, right? You're in treatment at this point. So there you are. Um, you're in your you're on your third try at treatment, right? At this part of your story, what happened to you and how you responded to it? So my I went. I was in two rehabs prior, and this was now my third rehab, of which it was the same rehab I went to the second time, and the first time I was there. I think uh, I said previously in one of our podcasts that to that rehab I was handcuffed in the back of a police car. My third return, uh, second time return to that rehab, I was willing and begging to go to that rehab. I wanted to go back. I wanted to go there. My my downfall from rehab number one to rehab number two to rehab number three was progressive, was very progressive, very clear. My my health deteriorated. I spoke about it in my... Yeah, yeah. So explain to our audience uh, the progressive nature of the disease, which is what you're touching upon now. And I want them to hear it from you. First rehab, three months in, committed, plotted and planned. And on the day of my exit or the day prior to my exit, I managed to smuggle some alcohol in and I was drinking. The moment I left there, I was on a two-week bender because I felt that I deserved it. Okay. Rehab number two. Okay. In between rehab number one and rehab number two, I had a short improvement. Okay. Managed to get a bit of clean time. I was going to AA meetings, four weeks, five weeks, six weeks. Right. Touched my first drink. From that first drink, I even remember what it was. It was a, I've got a half bottle of gin, uh, some tonic from, from a local supermarket. I just was happening to walk down the aisle. From that day, the same process repeated day after day after day after day. And I just very quickly was back into just solid drinking, no eating, no showering. It didn't no, take long. It didn't take long. It was okay. very quick. It was, right. it was very quick, a turning point on there. And then that led to many different complications at home with the police, my behavior. I was aggressive. I was, everything was bad. There was okay. disappointment in the family due to obviously my nature I'd been in a rehab for three months right I'd come out and I was drinking yeah more so okay. than before so what was what were they saying and thinking as uh, after they realized what had happened I mean it was, a, it was a cocktail of different emotions it was disappointment it was anger it was stress it was why hasn't this skip worked well, like it, they didn't know they didn't know right. how to I react understand. and it was it was were a they huge blaming concoction you? Were they of blaming emotions you? what were they doing Blaming me. It sounded like a really nice family to begin with. Of course, yeah. I mean, they were trying to help, but they didn't know. I they think don't know how. Different people react yeah. in different ways. Right. But, I mean, my family, who love me dearly, cherish me dearly, they were trying to help me. They were trying yeah. to protect me. They didn't right. understand why I was doing okay. what I was doing. Right. But that was in between rehab one and two. Now, rehab two, when I, when I went in there, I mean, I was bad. I was aggressive. I was very bad, physically violent. And then again, that was shorter period of time. That rehab now it was private, slightly more expensive. That was five thousand pounds a week. Oh, and that was paid by my parents. And so we're talking twenty. Yeah, a month. Twenty a month. Twenty a month. Pounds. But I was only in there three weeks. All right. That first Still. time. 
15,000 pounds, Detoxed almost $20,000 for three weeks. Committed. Seven grand a week, yeah. essentially, to yeah. your American. Detoxed artist. in, committed, out. Now, I maintained sobriety there right. for longer. Okay. I, I stuck with the meetings. I stuck. All I right. got a sponsor. So, somewhat improving results sure. to some yeah. extent, yeah. but very short in, in duration. And again, it got to the turning point where I had that first drink again. And... That it was slightly different because I thought that this was a more convincing. I can have a small drink, oh, and, and then okay. I wouldn't drink for a week. Right. I'd have the same drink, and then for another yeah. two weeks I would wouldn't drink. But again, it just got so bad so quickly after that. I managed to do that for a couple of weeks, okay, and then was back onto just everything and anything. Back onto absolutely everything. You're in for three weeks, it costs a lot of money, and then you're out, and you were okay for a while. I was okay for a while. I was okay for quite quite some time. What did you understand about your uh, situation or your disorder? Did you understand anything, or did you were you just trying to not drink at that point? I knew that I, whatever it takes, don't drink. Okay. Don't drink. However, there was still fight in me. Okay. There was, I was still fighting. Like, I knew it. However, I still wanted to believe that it wasn't the case, that I can't okay. touch anything. Okay, all right, got I was it. trying to prove to myself that I can possibly have a drink right. and be so okay. So some illusion of control still. Yeah. Okay, yeah. All, right. Um, all right. And had it tamed. I, I thought I had it tamed. Okay. So my drinking then started. So a period of abstinence, a couple of months, whatever. I had a few jobs on the go. Were you, had you graduated from university? I, this, yeah, this is all, all past that. This okay, is right. a long time before. All right, so good family, university education, yep. Yep. Uh, and now here we go. How old were you at this point? 22? From, from there, I, I mean, slowly that drinking crept up. It went from just cider after golf, just a pint of cider. Next week, the same again. After that, two pints of cider. Right. After that, three pints of cider. Yeah. Okay. Progressive, gentle, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I had Sneaky. it tamed. And then as soon as I went back onto the spirits, which is my Down poison. Down you went. Which is my poison, right. vodka. Yeah. I don't know. It just, I, I just went back straight back to yeah. my old patterns of yeah. drinking. Right, right. A bottle. So a you day. held it off, you held it off, and then you, yeah. then it collapsed. Well, then it went on. I mean, now I had two jobs. Now I had a girlfriend and I was kind of, I was back in the rhythm of drinking, but I still kind of had my life under control. Oh, okay. It hadn't destroyed everything in my right, life yet. Right, right. It, I was sneaky. I was conniving again with all of this. You were and obsessing too, right? Were you yeah, obsessing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. yeah. This was, it was part of my daily routine. Okay. And I managed to hold that for quite some time, drinking one to two bottles of vodka a day, right? Slowly, things began to fall apart. One or two bottles of vodka a day? Between one and two. All right. Between so that's two. between a 750 to a 1.5, right? Yeah. yeah. Which is like a big bottle, right? Uh, like what we call a 26-ounce or whatever it is. One to two of those a day. Big old bottles. Yeah. Right. Okay. And I was... Everything starts to fall apart, and I was really getting into a bad, bad state. My, my I was now... The doctor was panicking. So you were seeing a doctor as well during that? Yeah, I was seeing a doctor. I had to go and have blood tests every week because they were so, everyone was so worried about me that my liver function oh, yeah. was, was on its oh, way yeah. out. It's that much, that much booze. And yep, yep, yep. 
And that's where my family kind of hit the point of, that's it, we're done. So now you go into number three, or you go back second time into number two. And what was the space uh, and time between number two and number three? Or number two, again, I don't know, six months, three months? I can't really remember. Okay, that's good. Uh, But I think... That's honest. That's a few months, right? say... Five or six. Oh, okay. All right. Half a year. Right. Yeah, that's, that's... There was a larger gap between rehab number two, two and, and three, three than one, one and one two. two. Okay. All right. So now you're back into rehab number two for the second time. Correct. And you're there and there comes a moment. Can you talk to me about that moment when the light went on and the turning point happened for you? Sure. Going into that rehab, I wanted to go. I asked to go. I right. really wanted to go. I was okay. familiar with the place. I was yeah, familiar yeah, with yeah, the staff. Yeah, yeah. I knew the program. Right. Got straight back into it, dived into it, did my detox, committed. And actually, I extended my stay there from three weeks again to five weeks. Okay. And it was during that time, my stay there, that I found out when my mum was coming to visit, she was talking to some of the counsellors and she was doing everything in her power to basically find a secondary rehab for me. Now, at that point in her mind, she was looking at somewhere called Silver River or Twin Rivers, which was actually in South Africa. Okay. My attitude still at that point was F you, F you, F you, and F you to anyone who asked me to do further or longer periods of treatment. Okay. I I wanted to do a little bit of treatment, but I wanted to be in and out. Okay. I didn't kind of understand the benefits or knew the benefits as such of long-term sobriety, time underneath your belt, what what it gives you. Right. In recovery. Okay. So, and there was a counsellor there who I was familiar with and I was kind of tight with as such. And he just approached me and just said, my mates or my friend has got a rehab out in Thailand. Have you, why don't you have a look? Or why, don't you check, why don't you check it out? Like, honestly, what have you got to lose right now? It's nice, the weather's good out there, the facilities are brilliant. You can get away from everything. You can really clear your head. You can really work on yourself. And just, I mean, why not just give it a shot? Why mm-hmm. not give it a shot? Yeah. And I don't know what happened. I don't know what, what, what really went through in my head at that time. It's just, I kind of, everything that was there, I just went, just put it on the table. And I just, it's like I gave up. I finally just said, do you know what? Okay. Okay, I will have a look. And it, that, that, I know it doesn't sound like a lot. Right, well, but, that's true. But point. I went and I had a look. There was willingness. And the idea, the light in my head, the light went on in my yeah. head. When the light normally goes on in my head, it's, I'm very focused. I'm obsessive about whether it's a good thing, a bad thing, whatever it is. That's yeah, my yeah. natural yeah. kind of behavior. Right. I started becoming more and more intrigued, more and more obsessive about this idea of going to Thailand for treatment. In my own time, my family didn't know about it. No one knew about it. It was just me and the counsellor. And I started to go and have a look. I then started to communicate with the man in charge in Thailand, got in contact with him. And then next time, when I think my mum, I think it was about a week later, I then voiced it to my family and friends, say, look, I found a place in Thailand. I want to go there. I want to do it. I want to give it a shot. I want to do secondary but this is where I want to do it. This is your initiative at this point. And from there, as I exited that rehab, on my final day, I went home. I got collected. I went home. I packed a suitcase and I went straight to the airport and off I went on a plane to Thailand. Did you book your flight at the airport? 
Bridget, no, but that was that was done. I think during the week okay, before I left. But, but yeah, literally, you had it all yeah. set up. I went, as soon as you left, you went home, packed, yeah. and got on a plane. Correct. Right. Yeah. Okay. Wow. To Bangkok. Wow. So um, you talk uh, about temptations and triggers once you've completed treatment because you're still kind of raw. You know some of the rules, but what were some of the sort of walking around rules that you set for yourself that you learned in treatment, like baby steps, risky situations to avoid, some do's and some don'ts? What kept you sober in the early going? I think with triggers and temptations, there's the basic list of do this, don't do this. For for an alcoholic or for, for an addict, for an alcoholic as such, I mean... Don't go into bars, don't go into pubs, don't go to nightclubs, don't go to areas or places where people are drinking. It's a no-brainer. In general, just don't do it. Don't go to places, other than those obvious ones, where people might be drinking or are drinking. Granted, there'll be places which you can't avoid, such as restaurants. There, there were those kind of things that were kind of just gridded out to start with. What were some other triggers, or, or not temptations so much, but other uh, triggers in one's day that could lead you to think that either it's okay or that you need to take a drink? Places where there's alcohol flowing, places like I've said, restaurants, pubs, nightclubs, things like that. Then friends... That you, that you used to have, right? Friends, I was graced with the friends and privileged to have the friends that I had and kept close they understood my problem. They only ever supported my problem. Right. And even if we were to go to a restaurant or a pub they later, right. they would never drink around me. Okay. They would all refrain from having a drink. And if they might, had to, they would even say, do you mind if I okay. have a pint? Right. You can't have one, right? but do you mind if, if it's okay with you? Then there's, there's the less obvious ones like nightmares or using dreams, drinking dreams, things like that. These things, I mean, from my experience, I didn't have many of them, but sure, I did have them right. for a first few period of months or whatever. Then they kind of, you get one here and there. I know others who have them constantly for, for years and different person, different, I mean, different, different brain. Yeah, yeah, sure. Then there's stuff like regular basic stuff that you can't avoid, like the supermarket a supermarket if you go down the alcohol aisle to some people that's a trigger you know we can say right. don't go down the alcohol aisle don't go into an alcohol shop if you like what are you doing there oh, yeah what on earth are you doing there yeah. that is not the yeah. place for you yeah it's, it's i think it's easier to associate it to uh, perhaps a drug addict uh, in not mentioning anything any in particular but as an example let's say a uh, someone whose uh, crack is their primary you wouldn't you wouldn't go into a crack then Right. What business do you have right. in a crack then yeah. if you're trying to stay free of crack? Right. Have you heard the saying, if you hang around a barbershop sooner or later, you're going to get a haircut? Yeah, of course, yeah. Right? That's yeah. the kind of stuff. So I'm going to back up a little bit. Tell me, in essence, what you learned in treatment. What, 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 did, what do you think you learned in treatment? Some basic things that you learned. So I think. So you learned that you were thinking, your thinking was off when you got there, right? Yeah. Okay. And then how did your thinking change? What, did, what happened to your to your mind and to some extent to your heart as well. I think a lot of that was taking a good thorough look at yourself, where you are at, where you are now, what's been happening and the way forward. That that was worked on with 
a numerous variety different of things, whether that was one-to-one -one counseling, whether that was an introduction to the AA or the 12-step programs, either one of them and AAA. Um, the guidelines of things that you can do, things that you can use to help you on this journey, whether it be, as I said, getting a sponsor, going to these meetings. And that the, the meetings was actually quite a big part of every single place I went to, it was pu not pushed, but it was encouraged to get into that rhythm. It was presented. So put that into your daily routine right. as a norm, because okay. it helps, because it really right. does. Then so further okay. knowledge, background knowledge on the actual chemistry of what happens, with addiction to our brain, right. uh, the science of everything that happens okay. to your body. Right. And then just a combination of just healthy living as opposed to this. And then, like I say, the do's and don'ts. I mean, it's, it literally is a list of the obvious plus an extra kind of guideline of things that you can uh, or should follow, which are only for your own benefit. Right. So, um, how healthy about, practices is the word I'm looking okay. for. Healthy, healthy practices. practices and healthy thinking, right? So tell me about uh, something you and I have discussed uh, before, and that is the natural, almost predictable resistance that uh, particularly younger people have to the concept of God or higher power. Can you talk about that? What you what you yourself felt, and what you observe, because you you know you interact with a lot of. Uh, recovering people today, particularly younger ones. What What's your take on all of that? I mean, I, I'm quite open-minded. Um, I always have been. I was also brought up as a Catholic Christian, which I don't really have any problems with religion as such. I don't have a problem with the idea of a God or a greater power. I understood, though, from what was in the rooms, is that I could choose whatever. It doesn't matter if critical I choose. point, right? I, I don't. It doesn't matter if I choose the God. To my understanding, that I've been brought up Catholic, obviously it's God. You know, we have right. a God. However, I saw more value to it, and then as time has progressed, to me the higher power is. Well, how do I explain my hope? My higher power is. It's not just me. It's a group, a list of people on my phone. Right. It's a network of people. So it's my phone plus a network of people who have been there, done that, or whatever, who I can speak to and have as my support. Okay. It is the most imperative thing for me that I have found that right. is the most helpful for me. And it's deeply personal, right? It's Everybody deeply personal, has their own but it's, but it's But it's shown me that it's my best coping mechanism, my best coping technique is I know myself and I found out that I need to voice what I feel, what right. I think, I cannot um, sit with it. It doesn't matter. Stuff your feelings anymore. Like it you doesn't. Used to, right? It doesn't matter who I voice it to, as long as I voice it. Obviously, it means a lot more if I voice it to someone in my network. So we talk about abandoning your old way of thinking or surrendering your old way of thinking, and beginning to believe in a much bigger and better idea as a way of getting around some of that resistance to the concept of a higher power, as a concept of a spiritual higher power, God, and so forth. So it seems to me that um, you were able to quickly uh, construct, develop your own concept of a higher power as something outside of you, correct? Correct. You also talked about... Um, the uh, the pink cloud syndrome. What yeah. what the danger is when it when it starts to vaporize, and it always does. What do you do after you know you come off of that high? 
yeah, just previously, I just forgot one thing. So to anyone else who, what I saw in the rooms as an example with the, with the whole God high power thing, I mean, I found mine. I mean, I had my religious thing, which I kind of, I, I'm, I consider myself a believer, non-believer, blah. It's, it's, it doesn't really matter. I found my higher power through what was suggested in the rooms, and that was what was important to me. So to anyone else who struggles with this God or higher power thing, just be open-minded to it. You, you make your own thing. You make what works for you. Don't be hesitant on that word and don't let it scare you. It doesn't mean what you necessarily think it means. Just be open-minded and you will find that it is quite the opposite. Okay. With the pink cloud syndrome, I've heard it as well. It's like you come out of recovery, you come out of treatment. Oh, he's just on his pink cloud. He thinks everything's rosy. and uh, Sort of a manic state, right? Yeah, and my opinion on that is... is I actually think it's a good thing, right? This pink cloud thing. I actually think it brings a lot of positivity, and I think it it's a good place to be in. Well, you're as, not drinking, yeah. Right? As long as as long as that pink, you understand that pink cloud. It might only be a period of time. If it lasts forever, fantastic, brilliant. Why not let it last forever? A lot of people get skeptical about others' recovery when they they oh well, he's on the pink cloud. Or he's just on the pink cloud. That'll pass. That'll pass. But it's their own experience. It may last forever. But I think a good point. Perhaps be aware that this pink cloud word pink cloud syndrome to know or or even just kind of to get from it is it the state that you're in or other people are seeing you in this happy bubbly whatever state it may not be that way forever there might be times of hardship there might be times where things are a bit more difficult to accept the fact that life is not just like that all the time Right. And prepare yourself for times which are difficult and this and that. But it does not mean that you can't get back onto your pink cloud. Right. But it's not always going to be right. fairy tales, rainbows. Right. This is life we're talking about. I, I talk about being in the zone, right? And for me and a few other guys that I know, it's like being in the zone is being fully present in sober life, not carrying the burdens of yesterday or, or being uh, haunted by the fears of tomorrow because... Uh, tomorrow doesn't exist in its, in its own reality. And uh, being on the razor's edge of now, you know, living in the now. Not for the now, but in the now. Um, would you agree with that take? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I see, I see exactly what you mean, and I, I do agree with what you're right. saying. Well, you're in the zone a lot, so, yeah. I, you know, that's yeah. the way I see it, is when sure. somebody's eyes are bright, yeah. you're I mean, not hiding from anything, you're expressing your emotions, you're doing it in a kind way. You're not, you're not hostile, you're not, you know, you're not hiding from people. You're an honest, upright, decent, accountable citizen. You know, no longer a menace to society. How's that? Okay. But All it right. doesn't mean I don't have times of hardship. It That's doesn't right. mean I don't have times of stress right. or panic or, or anger or sadness or right. all these kind of feelings no, that are negative. Human things. Right. Yeah. Of course, yeah, because I am human. Right. However, it doesn't mean that I need to use or drink right right i right. get through those right. feelings or right. i sit with those feelings and right. i get through them right. with the help of my peers or my network or whereas my phone before, or whatever or as before whereas what before we do? problem i run to what i think is a solution which is the substance right. or the outcome yeah. right yeah and um, that's all changed right so we don't have any more we don't have a thinking a uh, drinking problem but we do have a thinking problem we right? do we do we what do you want to close with um you, you mentioned you wanted to talk about signs of relapse. 
Right. Okay. What does a family look for? Okay, that's a good good topic before we uh, wrap this one up. Honestly, your family will be in this like, like bloodhounds. Your your family know when something's up. Your your family know you. You'll feel you'll feel and you'll see when things are starting to go a little bit off track. The behaviour is the kind of I think the biggest red flag. It's you see when when things there's, there's things we call red flags, and you'll be able to pick up on them. I think. Well, that's, examples being or like being late, starting to be late for everything. Right? Okay, sure. Okay, yeah. What are some other ones? Lying about where you were, right? Sure. Okay. Um, explaining away why the hell you're in jail for the night. Example. <laughs> okay. Know, it's not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or blaming others. Stuff that happens to you. Mm. Stuff like that. Yeah. A- anything you want to add to that list? I think maybe even just small things like becoming a bit more distant. Okay. I mean, if you know irritable, you're... Irritable. Stuff ir- like... Perfect one. Irritable. irritable detached. Irritable yeah, and detached. Yeah, yeah. Hostile, I mean, maybe. Even. Yeah, I think they're just clear signs. It doesn't mean if they're irritable, if they're being a bit... Dep- that is the reason for right. a relapse coming up. Or but it you means may not be relapsing. You exactly. You may just be having a bad freaking day. You might be day. having a hard time. Yeah. You might be having yeah. a hard time. Yeah. But they're, they're, quite, they're kind of the ones that, that stick out there. The alcoholic yeah. dry drunk syndrome almost, if, right? If you, know, yeah. if you know the individual, this is your family member, if they're going to meetings and suddenly they've stopped going to meetings, I mean, you can consider that a bit of a... Sure. A, yeah, usually it is. A problem. But again, these aren't things that can't be fixed with a simple conversation and... And again, another thing that I would always say that I see quite a lot, and I'll just be aware of this, conversations can always be had, can always be had. Mm -hmm. But it's important to find the right time to have that conversation, especially it's vital, in my opinion, just from what I've seen, that the two parties involved have to be on the same level. That, that means don't approach them last thing before bed. Don't approach them or have a conversation when someone's rushing to something or has something important to do. Mm-hmm. Find the window. Organize it and yeah. find the appropriate time because right. a conversation can go so far. It can right. honestly go so far. And it's just finding the right time to have How that. about um, this notion that we learn in uh, intervention studies that uh, you come at, you quote, you intervene or you confront the person with a loving attitude on the one hand, right? Yeah. But also consequences on the other. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Does that make yeah. sense? Makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. Okay. So, um, let's see. Essential things that are uh, important to maintain your recovery, your healthy habits. Uh, that restore brain health. Uh, talk about those diet, exercise. I'd also talk about courage, <laughs> hmm. which we find uh, when we ask for it from our higher power to confront things that we do not want to confront that we were afraid of before, but now we have to, right? Yeah, they're the basics. I mean, the very basics is sleep. Maintain a normal, regular sleeping pattern. Mm. So don't go to bed too late. Wake up at normal time. Just, I mean, that's a very basic thing which they teach you in facilities and things because our, when, when, we, when we're in using it, it's just so distorted. So sleeping pattern, good normal sleeping pattern. Make sure you get enough sleep. Mm-hmm. Eating pattern. Your body needs fuel, preferably three times a day at appropriate mm-hmm. times, not just rushing or squeezing something in last minute and of the day. And a balanced diet Feed as well. yourself. Feed Properly. yourself and well. Yep. 
doesn't mean overfeed with stuff that's bad for you, but maintain a healthy, normal, balanced diet. And exercise is the third one, that your body is just something that it needs, it requires, it wants, it genuinely functions better if you provide it with a bit of exercise. And then you get and a little actually, endorphin kick once And it goes hand in hand with the sleep and the yeah. uh, eating. Get a healthy bit of practice, a healthy bit of exercise. I mean, those are the primary three things that your body does need. And then, obviously, you can... Normal habits, whether it is your meeting, whether it is this 12-step program and the step work that you'll be introduced to, that's all good and beneficial for you. But other things, a bit of social interaction, stuff for your mind, whether it be meditation, mindfulness, listening to some music, watching some... Whatever it is. Innocent pursuits. Feeding the soul with stuff that... Right keeps you positive feeding the brain that keeps developing that brain with just stuff that you're intrigued with whether it be reading whether it be sports or or, or anything what we say in recovery uh, in AA we say it's not enough to stop doing the bad stuff you got to replace doing the bad stuff with doing good stuff yeah and then the, the crazy thing is as soon as you get clean and sober you get a bit of time you, you do the things that are suggested and that brain starts opening and your sobriety just it allows, not only does your brain start opening, your drive starts coming back, but things start opening up for you yeah. and you become more creative, right. you become more passionate. There you you have yeah. all this life right. that you are, that is so new to you. It's so new to you. It's like, it's like being, I don't want to say reborn yeah. as an what? extravagant thing, but, but it, it really, the doors of life kind of right. start opening. You're you transform. You right. transform and you're beginning to actually seize the beauties of life that are out there for right. you to, to right. go and endure. You're it's no longer operating that. with blinders now. Tunnel vision on vision. destruction. Right. No. No. no, no, no. Now, now you're in the light. Very good. Excellent recap. Is there anything else you want to, excuse me, leave us with today? Recovery in general. We go through these hard times, but by no means is it the end of the road. There, we say there's light at the end of the tunnel. If you do the things that are suggested, if you go and practice, 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 it's not practice makes perfect, it's perfect practice makes perfect. And you keep doing it with practice. And the other main, main thing that I would say is time. Time is definitely definitely a huge factor in just making the whole process easier the more time you have underneath your hands the more chance and the more likely um you are to continue to succeed and stay on that right path so in the 12th step in aa uh, the last sentence is practice these principles in all our affairs right yeah so what we're asked to do is to adopt a completely new set of principles adopt a set of values that we freely violated when we were drinking and using, and now replace those corrupt ideas with new values. Yeah. And we are then asked to practice these principles, these values, in all our affairs. Yeah. Uh, so in our jobs, at the grocery store, and particularly in our families, with our families, yeah. the people that are closest to are the ones that we hurt the most. Yeah. And to them, we owe... Uh, an amends. One form of an amend is living an amended life, yeah. right? Making sure that you've become now the decent human being that they always knew you were. Sure. But you violated with drinking and using. And there's there's the principle, and then in the step as well, it's as soon as that time comes and you actually start giving back to someone else, it's 
again, it's one another one of those little light moments right. where it's different for everyone. I've seen it in different individuals at different times. And by giving back what you've learned or what you what you see to believe and how you are now, giving someone else that bit of strength, that bit of hope, that bit of guidance, it it really does unlock something for for you. Right. And it really does fuel your own recovery as well. Perfect. Thank you so much, Tony. We'll come back at it again with a new topic and your energetic and genius insights into recovery. Thanks so much, Bruno. You're welcome. Thank you for tuning in today. It's my fervent hope we've given you new insight and new hope that will lighten your burden. For our hearts go out to all who suffer the effects of addictive disorder. Please give us your feedback at info at safehouserehab.com. By all means, ask us any question you like, and we'll answer on air if you will. And if you want to leave us your first name and city, we'll recognize you too, of course. This podcast is sponsored by safehouserehab.com, where we take a modern approach to recovery, something all families of those who suffer deserve. Tune in next week for more.